Podcast Network. The light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Welcome, believers, skeptics, and paranormal thrill seekers. On this episode, we will discuss the brutal Swift Runner murders, along with the evil that was said to have influenced them. This is JD, and I'm glad you've joined me as we peer into the world of the supernatural once again and take a look through the veil. Before we begin, I would like to give a shout out to a couple of people. First off, to Paige from the Reverie True Crime Podcast. She reached out to me on my Twitter and helped me with my show cover art to make it pop out a little more. Thanks, Paige. Also, to two listeners, Jamie and Tracy, from my full-time job who have provided good feedback, and I appreciate the listens, guys. Thanks. In the north woods of Minnesota, in the forest regions of the Great Lakes, and central Canada, resides an evil creature or infernal spirit that the locals over the last hundreds of years have called the Wendigo. This creature has appeared mainly in two forms. That of a gaunt, spindly, rotting, corpse-like humanoid, or that of an evil spirit that can possess a person and drive them to consume human flesh by bestowing upon them a never-ending appetite. The name Wendigo roughly translates to the evil spirit that devours mankind. The Wendigo has long been associated with the folklore of the region's tribal populations, such as the Algonquin Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, West Main Cree, the Nascapi, and other local tribes. All these tribes have described the Wendigo as a giant creature in stature, several times larger than a man. Each tribe has varying attributes or minor differences in descriptions. However, the common similarities are that the creature is malevolent and cannibalistic. It is strongly associated with the winter season and of hunger and famine. The Algonquian legend describes the creature as a giant with a heart of ice. Sometimes it's thought to be entirely made of ice. Its body is skeletal and deformed with missing lips and toes. The Ojibwe describe it as a large creature as tall as a tree with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those who were the lucky ones, sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead. And then that luckless individual became a Wendigo, him or herself, hunting down those they had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. If we look at the legends as passed down from the local tribes, a Wendigo is created whenever a human being chooses to eat another human being in order to survive. This is considered a corruption to nature. This was extremely common back in the days of the early settlers, when they and the local tribes were sometimes stranded during the harsh winter months. People in that situation would have felt almost compelled to devour the meat of the dead in order to preserve their own life. It is also thought that those who display a selfish or gluttonous personality would open themselves up to possession by a Wendigo spirit, thus turning them into a Wendigo. That's an interesting reproductive cycle. 
But this also served as a cautionary tale that inspired cooperation between settlers and local tribes during times of hunger and famine. You may have seen versions of the Wendigo displayed in Hollywood media, but the Native American versions of this creature are more terrifying than the fictitious Hollywood portrayals. The tribes speak of a monster that is over 15 feet tall and had previously been human. It is said to have burning white eyes, long yellow fangs, claws, and a very long piercing tongue. They are described as having a sagging yellowish skin with matted patches of hair. It has the abilities that the tribes have said make it a near perfect hunter. It uses stealth. It knows every square inch of its territory and it uses it. It is said to be able to control the local weather and have a rotting stench of decay about it. They appear emaciated due to starvation. The creature is said to be cursed to wander the land in search of food to fight off its hunger. And it must consume human flesh. If there is no food, it will die from starvation. Well, at least there's a bright side. It can be killed. The mythical name of Wendigo has landed itself into a modern medical term called Wendigo psychosis. It's a measurable syndrome that drives one to the desire to consume human flesh as modern-day cannibalism. Now, the eerie part of this is that this psychosis appears to only be present in people's living around the Great Lakes region in Canada, i.e. the grounds of the legend. The symptoms start out simple enough as poor appetite, nausea, vomiting, but not long after that the person will develop a grotesque desire for human flesh, and they have the delusion that they have in fact turned into a Wendigo. They begin to see everyone around them as food. Another strange point to point out is that this syndrome generally only occurs in the winter months to those who have been stranded or blocked in by a heavy snow. This again leads credibility to the fact that the Wendigo has a strong association with the winter months. This syndrome is still highly disputed within the medical community, which tells me in real people terms, it isn't explainable by traditional means and or they are just mislabeling cabin fever. Before modern medicine, the most accepted cure for Wendigo psychosis was a visit to a healing shop. And if the attempts to rid the person of the psychosis or spirit failed, in order to protect those around him, the person was immediately executed. There have been reports of this psychosis going back hundreds and hundreds of years. In a 1661 Jesuit relations document, it stated, What caused us greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake, namely that the men deputed by our conductor to summon the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They are afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh 
that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men like veritable werewolves and devour them voraciously without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey. And the more greedily, the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, and as death is the sole remedy among those simple people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. More modern sightings have occurred in Minnesota as late as the 1920s. Each time it was reported as being seen, there were usually one or two unsolved murders that followed shortly after. The local tribes still perform a ceremonial dance in times of famine and starvation. They dance backward around a drum adorned in masks and paint to commute the seriousness of the Wendigo and their belief in the creature. Wendigo sightings are still reported to this day. In Ontario, Canada, there's apparently a cave that has been officially named the Cave of the Wendigo. There are many other people other than the tribes who believe in the Wendigo that still think it roams the woods and prairies of Minnesota and Canada. Ontario, Canada has been named the Wendigo capital of the world. So if you are ever out in that neck of the woods and on a hiking trip, just remember that you may alert the Wendigo to your presence and you will now have become prey to a near perfect hunter in its own area. And this perfect hunter never fails. So please be safe. The Wendigo has served as the antagonist in many media forms. Films such as Dark Was the Night or video games such as PlayStation's Until Dawn. It has also been featured in shows such as the CW's Supernatural. Its depictions in media, however, have strayed far from the original descriptions given to us by Native American tribes. Now, it has come now that the beast is one that has horns and antlers and all that but this cross animalistic trait is pure hollywood compared to folklore in the folklore it is described like i said before as a giant human-like figure that has a repulsive stench basil h johnson an ojibwe tribe teacher and scholar from ontario canada gives us the following description of the traditional wendigo Its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones, with its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash of gray death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Unclean and suffering from separation of the flesh, the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay decomposition and of death and corruption. One of the more disturbing attributes given to this creature is that when it eats a person, it grows in size proportionately to the size of its last meal. This ensures that the creature is never full and always hungry. It is said that some tribes believe that it can become giant-like in stature. One fall story collected and documented in the early 20th century by Lottie Chickagua Martson, and ethnographer of the Chippewas of Rama First Nation reads as follows. One time, 
ago, a big Wendigo stole an Indian boy. But the boy was too thin, so the Wendigo didn't eat him up right away. But he traveled with the Indian boy, waiting for him till he'd get fat. The Wendigo had a knife and he'd cut the boy every day on the hand to see if he was fat enough to eat. But the boy didn't get fat. They had traveled too much. And then one day they came to an Indian village and the Wendigo sent the boy to the Indian village to get some things for him to eat. He just gave the boy so much time to go there and get right back. The boy told the Indians that the Wendigo was near them and showed them his hand where the Wendigo had cut him to see if he was fat enough to eat. They heard the Wendigo calling the boy. He said to the boy, hurry up, don't tell lies to those Indians. All of these Indians went to where the Wendigo was and cut off his legs. They then left. They went back again later to see if the Wendigo was dead. He wasn't dead. He was eating the marrow from inside of the bones of his legs that they had cut off. The Indians asked the Wendigo if there was any fat on the legs. And he said, you bet there is. I have eaten a lot of Indians. There's no wonder they are fat. The Indians then killed him and cut him to pieces. This was the end of this giant Wendigo. When we return, we will look at one of the most infamous cases of cannibalism and the mention of the Wendigo, the story of the Swift Runner murders. Stay with us. Welcome back. And if you're still listening, thank you. Now let's continue with the story of Swift Runner. Swift Runner's life was not that extraordinary. He had gotten the traditional Cree tribal education. He had married, and he and his wife had given birth to six children. He was a known trader with the Hudson Bay Company, and he had become a trail guide for the Northwest Mounted Police. However, times grew dark, and over the course of the years, Swift Runner had developed a strong alcohol problem and was known to be a violent drunk. This caused him to lose his job with the police, and his services were no longer rendered by them. Swift Runner was arrested and tried for the death of his family during the winter months between 1878 and 1879. He was hanged in December of 1879. During the investigation, Swift Runner claimed that a Wendigo had killed and consumed his family. Now, the story begins when Swift Runner returned from his winter camp at the end of the winter season without his wife and children. When being pressed by his in-laws about the whereabouts of his family, Swift Runner could not give them a believable or reliable reason for them staying behind. And when his in-laws grew more and more suspicious, they contacted the Northwest Mounted Police. The Northwest Mounted Police were troubled by this report. So enter Inspector Gannon. He was given the job of investigating and locating Swift Runner's family. He selected a few of his best men and made the long trek out to Swift Runner's winter camp. When they reached Swift Runner's winter camp, he voluntarily showed them a small grave that was located nearby. Swift Runner told them that the grave belonged to one of his sons who had died during the winter. The detachment grabbed their shovels and dug up the grave. They found the boy's remains there undisturbed. 
However, Inspector Gannon was still not satisfied as they also discovered human bones scattered around the camp. Gannon picked up a skull from the cold ground and showed it to Swift Runner, to which he openly admitted that was the skull of his departed wife. Gannon didn't have to press Swift Runner much as Swift Runner was willing and ready to reveal what had happened to him and his family. Swift Runner was standing there with the inspector, still looking at the skull of his deceased wife. He began by telling the inspector that it all started when he started to have haunting and malicious dreams. He claimed that the spirit of a Wendigo had begun to call on him to kill and eat his family. The spirit began to creep through his mind daily, even through periods when he was fully awake. This oppression, the Wendigo spirit started to gradually take control of Swift Runner. Finally, after all the nightmares and daylight torment, Swift Runner was no more, and there was only Wendigo. Swift Runner, being possessed by the Wendigo, brutally murdered his wife. He cleaned her like a hunted animal and consumed her. Now that the Wendigo had its grasp, on Swift Runner, it began to gradually take control of one of his sons, much like in the same way it attacked and oppressed Swift Runner. This led the boy to butcher his younger brother. With all this bloodshed, the Wendigo apparently reveled in the gruesome display. So much that according to Swift Runner, the spirit itself took his infant and hung it by the neck from one of the poles to the cabin and continuously tugged at the infant's feet. Over the course of the story, it had also been revealed that the Wendigo-possessed Swift Runner also took the life of his brother and his brother's mother-in-law and consumed them as well. Swift Runner admitted that the meat of the old woman was a bit tough to chew. The inspector stood there, shocked and clearly revolted by the tale. He took Swift Runner into custody and gathered the mutilated bodies and took them back to Fort Saskatchewan. The trial against Swift Runner was to begin on August 8, 1879. And the judge and jury did not view the Wendigo folklore as a basis for a good defense. It was not rooted in reality enough for him. Swift Runner did not try to hide his guilt or remorse for the crime. The court saw this man as a murderer and an abomination to mankind for his actions. And the magistrate quickly ruled a verdict and sentenced Swift Runner to be hanged by the neck until dead. The sentence for Swift Runner, while just, was problematic. The Northwestern Mounted Police had never conducted an execution. This was by all means the first formal execution in Western Canada. The gallows that would serve as the instrument of Swift Runner's demise had been erected, and an old, old, old army pensioner was made the official hangman. And on December 20th, 1879, Swift Runner was led to the gallows, where he was given the chance to address the mass group of people that were attending. He openly acknowledged his guilt. He thanked his jailers for their kindness, and he then scolded the guard for making him wait for so long in the cold air. Now, the noose was placed around Swift Runner's neck. 
He stood on the trap door as instructed. The crowd fell silent as they waited for execution. The hangman slid a black hood over the native's head. His breath could be seen escaping the black hood. The breaths were quick and short. The hangman released the trap door as Swift Runner fell about five feet before the rope around his neck tightened and jerked him to a stop, quickly breaking his neck. The breaths escaped the black hood no longer. This was the end of Swift Runner and his Wendigo. After about an hour, his body was cut down and he was buried in the snow outside of the fort. Now, to close this show on a good note, I have to tell you my wife's Wendigo story. She is literally terrified of this creature and it's not even known to roam the south where we live. So we were out on our bike trail, riding through a state park, and I took off down a hill and just left her in the dust. Apparently I got so far ahead of her that she began to worry. I stopped, looked over my shoulder and waited. I heard her call my name, so I began to walk back up the trail to find her. As I'm coming up to her, and she has not noticed me yet, I see her looking around, kind of worried, kind of scared. Then I hear the funniest thing come out of her mouth. She says, quote, You know what? I hope a Wendigo does eat me. Teach him to run off and leave me. I laughed so hard as I came up to her, and we continued our ride on the trail. Folks, this is the kind of legend that goes way beyond folklore and penetrates generations of people. I'm sure they will still be talking about the Wendigo long after you and I have passed on. I will be providing links to my resources for this episode in the show description as well as pictures on my Facebook page. Thank you for listening. Thank you all so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Remember, I'm always looking for listener stories to feature on the show. If you have an experience you would like to share, please visit my Facebook by searching at JD Through the Veil or reaching out to me on my Twitter at JD The Veil. You can also find me on Good Pods under JD Through the Veil. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and give that five-star review a workout. If you would like to show your financial support, check out the support link in the show's description. Once again, my name is JD. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep an open mind. This has been another opportunity to peer through the veil.